Esau and Jacob. Tell me about Esau and Jacob. What were they like? At each other. It says from the very beginning, even in the womb, that they struggled. Esau, what kind of man was Esau? Outdoor, huntsman, rugged type. And who favored him? In the mother and father relationship. Who favored Esau? Yeah, so the father favored Esau. And then we have Jacob. What was Jacob like? Good cook. Mama's boy, we might say. He stayed at home among the tents with his mother. So we have that conflict going on, as well as between the brothers, we also have the favoritism being played by the mother and father. Okay, so then, um, when Jacob uh, gets married, he gets fooled when he gets married. He wants to marry Rachel, but he ends up with Leah, first of all, and then he ends up with both of them. And the sisters don't get along, and they try and win Jacob's favor by having children, by having sons. And particularly when you read about Leah and her sons, the name she gives them, you can just feel the, all the, the emotion in that. And she gives these names to them, like, now Jacob will favor me, and on and on and on and on. And then Rachel is, finally has Joseph and Benjamin, and then they also give their handmaids to Jacob to get into the act. So Zilpha uh, gets thrown in there, and then they have Gad and Asher, and then Billa gets thrown in there, and have Dan and Naphtali. And then one thing, and this is a whole other sermon by itself, but if you notice in the line of Jacob and Leah, you have Dinah. And with the, the boys' names, they all have this real profound meaning to it. And when it gets to Dinah, it's like, oh yeah, uh, she had a daughter, Dinah. End of story. Um, that's another sermon. Anyhow, so we're going to work with some of these stories today. That's, that's the main framework. The half-brothers Isaac and Ishmael. What we seem to have here is a displacement narrative. The older Ishmael is displaced by his younger brother Isaac. The result, happy for Sarah and Isaac, is tragic for Hagar and Ishmael. This sounds like the beginning of a story that will end in resentment and revenge, but the rabbis heard a counter-narrative in this story. Four times the text tells us that Ishmael will be blessed by God. The first and last to Hagar, the second and the third to Abraham. Isaac has been chosen for a specific destiny, but Ishmael has not been rejected, at least not by God. The story of Ishmael is told with emotion rare in the Hebrew Bible, while the story of Abraham and Isaac is almost totally lacking in emotion. The narrative is written to enlist our sympathy for Ishmael. We identify with Hagar and Ishmael. We are awed by Abraham and Isaac. Now, through the Jewish genre of Midrash, a form of interpreting the Bible. The sages filled in the gaps in the biblical story. These, these rabbis long ago knew the story so well that sometimes they'd come up to, there were gaps in the story. And they'd think there's something missing here. And there would be clues in the story. And then they would connect these clues and they would fill in the story. And when they came to this story, they said something's not right. In Genesis 25, 8 and 9, it tells us that Ishmael and Isaac 
together buried Abraham when Abraham died. How did they get back together? And in Genesis 25, 1-4, it tells us that Abraham remarried after Sarah died to Keturah and had six sons. Well, who is Keturah and why throw this into the story? And then a third oddity in the story is Isaac living in a place, and I'll, I'll probably mispronounce it, but Bier Lahoy Roy. Well, why there? Well, it turns out that that place is the place of Hagar. The sages put all these clues together and they said, on seeing that his father had sent him to fetch a wife, Rebekah, Isaac said, can I live with her while my father lives alone? I will go and return Hagar to him. Isaac had been on a mission of reconciliation to reunite Hagar and Abraham. And the sages argued that Keturah was really Hagar. And what we see in this story is a story of reconciliation. Now, I used to read these stories and I thought, why would they start out their scriptures with a bunch of stories about dysfunctional families? But underneath these stories of dysfunctional families, there are stories and hints and narratives of reconciliation and subverting all that, that conflict and dysfunctionality and actually coming back together. The story beneath the story hinted by, at by these three details is that neither Abraham nor Isaac made their peace with the banishment of handmaid and child, Hagar and Ishmael. As long as Sarah was alive, they could do nothing about it, respecting her feelings as God had commanded Abraham to do. But once she died, they could engage in an act of reconciliation. That is probably how Isaac and Ishmael came to be together when Abraham died. Now, another story, Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob and Esau, and I won't take time to get answers from you, but, they, you know, they... Jacob was a schemer. Um, he stole his brother's birthright and uh, stole his brother's blessing. And then Esau got so angry he wanted to kill him. And then uh, Jacob was sent away by his mother so that he wouldn't get killed. And then years later, Jacob thinks, I need to make it right with my brother. And so he works at in some ways, buying his brother's favor. He sends all these, these sheep and, and goats and cattle and, and his, his wives and his children out, and he's going to make reconcilia reconciliation with Esau. But the night before he meets his brother, what happens to him? He spends the night wrestling with the angel of God. And in that experience, Jacob is changed. Not only his name, his name is changed to Israel, but he himself is changed. We are told in Genesis 25, even before the sons are born, that their fate was to clash, their destiny to, con to conflict. Even though Jacob steals Esau's original blessing, Isaac does manage to give Esau another blessing in Genesis 27. And it carries a qualification of Jacob's supremacy only as long as he doesn't abuse it. And the question comes up, does God give blessings through stealth? Nothing in this story is as it seems on the surface. 
when they get back together, why does Jacob bow down when he meets Esau again? Why does he call him Lord? What is going on? Well, there was another blessing in the story where Isaac, the father, blesses Jacob for himself, not thinking him to be Esau. Instead of power and wealth, the blessing of Esau, he blesses him with children and land, covenantal blessings. He passes on the legacy of Abraham to Jacob. Jacob always wanted to be Esau, to be like him in every way. What happened when he met Esau again was Jacob giving back Esau's blessing of power and wealth. In his wrestle with the man of God, Jacob learned to give up trying to be Esau and to hold on to God instead. He experienced wholeness, shalom. Peace comes when we see our reflection in the face of God and let go of our desire to be someone else. Sibling rivalry is defeated the moment we discover that we are loved by God for what we are, not for what someone else is. We each have our own blessing. The choice of Jacob does not mean the rejection of Esau. To be secure in my relationship to God does not depend on negating the possibility that others too may have a relationship with God. Now, Joseph and his brothers, role reversal. The Joseph story reads like a novel. The final scene in which Joseph assures his brothers that he has forgiven them is Genesis' serene and unexpected closure. It is as if the entire book from Cain's murder of Abel has been leading to this point where brothers learn what it is to resolve conflict, be reconciled, make space for one another, and forgive. It's one of the few stories in the Old Testament where you have people forgiving other people. Most of the forgiveness in the Old Testament is God forgiving people. But this is a rare story of brothers forgiving brothers. In the Joseph story, the roles are reversed again. The father loves the younger. Three times in the Jacob story, we see Jacob favoring the younger. Rachel over Leah, Joseph to the older sons, and the younger Ephraim over Manasseh, Joseph's children. Joseph forces his brothers through a process of role reversal when they come to him in Egypt. He is now in control, and they are the victims. But what he wants them to experience is what it's like to be a victim. But he's also putting them through the repentance process. What Joseph is doing is taking his brothers through the repentance process, regret, remorse, confession, leading to change behavior. The Joseph story shows that we can change, repent, and grow. The brothers did not recognize Joseph when they first met in Egypt. He was a stranger to them. But eventually, Joseph forced them to recognize that just as a brother can be a stranger when kept at a distance, so a stranger can turn out to be a brother. One more story. The rejection of rejection, Rachel and Leah. We don't often talk about their relationship and what's going on between them. But Jacob running from one sibling rivalry with his brother Esau in marrying Rachel and Leah and favoring Rachel over Leah has just unintentionally created another problem, another sibling rivalry. The Bible makes us hear Leah's pain in the name she gives her children. 
There is a passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 21, 15 to 17, about making sure the oldest son gets his due. It is saturated with linguistic echoes of Genesis. Some of the words used in that passage and in the story of Leah um, and her children, are the, some of the words are only used in those two passages. And it talks about the rivalry between Leah and Rachel and their respective sons. The message is clear. Jacob's behavior is not to become normative for his descendants. There are to be no more dramas of chosen and rejected sons, preferential treatment, favoritism, and the psychodynamics of sibling rivalry. The conclusion to which the whole of Genesis has been leading is the rejection of rejection. Now, our passages that were read today. We began with two New Testament readings. In Luke 15, we have two brothers again in conflict. The older brother sees a repeat of the Genesis pattern of favoritism, the younger over the older. And in this story, he can't even bring himself to calling his brother his brother. He says, this son of yours, when he's talking to his father. But his father doesn't play along with this sibling rivalry. But he refers to the younger brother as this brother of yours. He brings them back into proper relationship. The James passage points out that the reason for so much of our conflict is that we want something and we don't have it. Now, when I first read Sack's book last year and was getting excited about these different understandings of the Genesis story and, and thinking about sibling rivalry, I was also reading all the stories from the North American Mennonite press about the church here in, the, in North America and what was happening, and the latest controversy over homosexuality and same-sex marriage. And I'm on your email um, list, so I've been following your story as a congregation over the last year as well. And I was thinking, Mary and I didn't grow up Mennonite, but we've been in the Mennonite church long enough that we've been through a number of these controversies through the years. Um, divorce and remarriage, uh, head covering, women in leadership, and now this one. And I got to thinking that this is the issue now. But I started wondering, I wonder what the next issue is going to be. And the next issue. And the next issue. Because there will always be an issue that is controversial and that is dividing us and that makes us struggle with this question of who are we as the people of God? And what's it mean today in our setting to follow Jesus? So the, the bigger question for me is not what's the right answer on these issues, but how do we struggle together? How do we walk together? How do we figure out these issues together? And I think your congregation has been one that has been working at this. And as I, as, as I said, we've been in 11 congregations now. And I think yours is one that has been working at this well. Trying to figure out how can we stay together as family, as brothers and sisters, and talk about these issues. So I end with, I wonder what we can learn from Genesis and Rabbi Sachs' interpretation. Can we learn to live together as brothers and sisters with our differences? Can we reject rejection as a witness to the wider world of God's reconciliation? 
I took the title for my talk today from Joseph's instructions to his brothers as they were returning to the land of Canaan to get their father and the rest of the family. Joseph knew his brothers well. And as they were leaving, his parting advice was, do not quarrel on the way. I think this is great advice for the church today. In one church, after we preached this sermon, they came up and they said, well, what's, what's the difference between quarreling and arguments? And I think when quarreling for me is when it gets destructive and when we're attacking the other person and we're not dealing with the issue itself. Uh, we teach when we teach about conflict transformation to attack the issue. Look at the issue. Don't attack the other person. I read an article this week in the Atlantic Magazine online version after the election and when so many people were saying, what we need is reconciliation in this country. And what a lot of those people really want, the, what they want is just they want the controversy to go away. And they want a false kind of reconciliation. And this author was saying, no, we don't need that false kind of reconciliation. What we need to learn is how to argue better. And that means how to listen better to each other. And how to speak the truth to each other. And not settle for a false peace, a false reconciliation. The author of this article is saying, we have a lot of work to do in sitting down with those people who are so different from us and really listening and then arguing in a good way that works toward true reconciliation and peace. The book of James says, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. That's the speaking the truth to each other in love. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Can we model that in our brotherly and sisterly relationships in the church as we follow the way of Jesus so the world will learn what peace is all about? I hope so. May the God of peace be with us all. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. Amen. And don't quarrel on the way. <laughs>